You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning again. My name is Dean, the pastor at City Church. Thanks for gathering as a church this morning. It's good uh, to be together on this Sunday. This is our last week of our series called My Easter Story, where we're looking at how the reality, the truth, the after effect of Easter, of the empty tomb, changed people. Just about a month ago, we came together and celebrated Easter. All across the country, all across the world, people dressed nicer. They brought their families They had plans afterwards. Some even went home, went out of town to see mom, to see Nana. But for what purpose? Because it's spring? Because it's just good to get everybody together? No, apparently it's because Jesus rose from the grave. So a month later, what does that mean for us now? It's the point of this My Easter Story series And for these believers we're introduced to in the end of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts, the reality of Easter is what made them believers. It's what changed everything in their lives. And I want that to be the same with me. I don't just believe Easter intellectually, that it actually happened, that it was historic, that there's an empty tomb and Jesus is not there, that he's alive today. But I don't want that to matter in my life. Because I'm imperfect I probably just like you, stray sometimes and wander off. But if I really believe that Jesus rose from the grave, it means I can believe every other thing that he says and every promise in God's word, including the fact that he keeps me in his hand as the good shepherd. That he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it in Christ. That everything Jesus has said of us and about us, but more importantly about himself, is true. After we get through this series, we're going to jump back into 1 Corinthians. We were going, I don't know what happened. We were going verse by verse through 1 Corinthians. Then we got shut down. The pandemic hit. And we were like, okay, we're going to talk about some different stuff. And then we came back in 1 Corinthians. We kind of sort of just didn't get back in it. I don't know why. So we're going to jump back into 1 Corinthians chapter 9 next week and work verse by verse through it for the rest of the summer. So that'll be a good time for us in God's Word. Let's pray together, and then we're going to jump in and talk about someone who Easter radically changed his life, and that is the New Testament character, Barnabas. Father, we are thankful for your Word. I ask we'll be good stewards of it, that we will believe it and receive it, and then we'll put feet on it and go outside and have our lives changed because what we believe to be true about the Scriptures. It'll impact our ministry that it'll put us on mission with you, that we will really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. We do lift up once again our graduating high school seniors to you. Lord, I ask that you bless their lives, allow them to continually remember that you are better, that they will continue to taste and see that you are good, better than anything this world has to offer. They won't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Lord, I ask they'll continually be transformed by the renewing of their minds, that that'll be a reality for them, And they'll see themselves as missionaries, whatever it is that you have next for them. Starting today, and for all of us in this room today, that we will really believe so much in Easter that it changes our lives. I ask that you keep the enemy out of this place, out of our city. You be with all the churches as they gather today. Lift up those in our church family who are sick right now, who are anxious, who have different things going on in their lives. Lord, we ask that they will all look to you. The great name of Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see this in Acts chapter 4. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, 
So the author here, Luke, definitely wanted to include for us uh, his background, this man named Joseph. It's significant that he was a Levite by birth. So he was very Jewish, like varsity-level Jewish, because he wants us to see the significance of the conversion here. And he says, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. So we're introduced to this guy, and out of the gate, we're told he's a Levite from birth. His name's Joseph. But everybody else is calling him Barnabas. I have a friend who has a nickname. You probably people you call nicknames. I have a friend who has a nickname, and I, and I asked him one time, I said, where, where did you get that nickname from? He said, oh, I just gave it to myself. <laughs> you don't give yourself a nickname. What are you t- you're not Deion Sanders. You call yourself primetime. He's allowed to. You're not, right? You don't give yourself a nickname. People give you nicknames. It's usually linked to something. I coach middle school football. We have a kid on our team whose last name is DeSantis. He's not related to the governor. You know what his nickname is? Gov. That's what we call him. Gov, what are you doing? You know, that, that kind of thing. Got a kid in our team named, last name Perkins. Like the restaurant Perkins? Call him Breakfast. It's his nickname. But these people here are calling this guy named Joseph Barnabas because he is the one who is an encourager. So much to the point that it changed what they called him. He's never called Joseph again, to my knowledge, through my reading this week, unless I missed something through the scriptures and through my study. He's called Barnabas from here on out in the Bible. Because that's what he was known as. Names stick with you. Jim Marsh sitting right over there was my coach growing up. You know what I call him to this day? I don't call him Jim because he'd slap me. Probably because that feels, I think it feels disrespectful to call your coach by his first name. I don't call him Mr. Marsh. You know what I call him? To this day, 30 years later, call him coach. To this day, that's what I call him, call him coach. You're probably like that with your old coaches. If you see one of your old teachers, even though you're 50 years old right now, you see one of your old teachers, you still call her Mrs. Smith? It sticks with you. Barnabas, an encourager. Just, I know I'm not trying to be a broken record and, and, and I'll land the plane on that part, but it's just so profound to me, for lack of a better word, that he was noticed as such an encourager to God's people, this converted Levite, that his Easter story is more than that, but it's not less than that, and they changed his name. So what did he do? Verse 37, he sold a field he owned. So maybe he inherited it, had personal wealth, we're not really sure. He brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. He knew because the tomb was empty that Jesus really actually was the one he claimed to be. That's his Easter story. So that meant this good news had to get out. Jesus himself gave the great commission to go and tell. Before he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, he said, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. We've got to get the gospel out. Well, guess what came with this new faith? Persecution. All of a sudden, some of these believers were cut from their families cut from their incomes. How are we going to get the gospel out if we can't afford to do it? They can't even afford really to eat. They've been cut off from their families because of their belief that Jesus really is Lord. And he goes, well, I see a need. 
So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to meet the need. Because I believe that Jesus rose from the grave. So I'm going to go and sell my field that I have. And I'm going to bring the money from it. And I'm going to say, let's go. Let's go. John Piper, who I think has done some good work on Barnabas, wrote this. He's a pastor, in, a former pastor in Minneapolis, an author. Two of the effects of believing in Jesus, which really is an Easter story, it's all of our Easter story, that we believe in Jesus, are that the heart is loosened in relationship to things and tightened in its relationship to people. That when it comes to your stuff and all the things of this world, we used to be like this, grips, I'm going to that er noise, grips, and now we go, it's all yours. And when it comes to relationships, maybe you used to be a little standoffish, more self-consumed, not interested in anybody else, and now it's, I find it interesting in 1 Corinthians 9, this little detail is mentioned. Paul says this, talking about support, and says, or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Think about that statement. And selling his field, I'm going to guess, I'm not trying to read too much into this, but it was obviously significant, the wealth that was mentioned in this story. He could have had all these anxieties, and maybe even his future, all taken care of. They, they could have been given up. His bucket list, you know, may have had it been trimmed just a little bit because he sold his field. But his focus was about the good that would be done for the church with his gift and how it would bring glory to God and spread the name of Jesus. And he still had to work because of it. When maybe he wouldn't have had to. And by worldly wisdom, that sounds like the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your entire life. But his Easter story is one of his life being changed. The world's wisdom no longer applies to him. And he sees a need and does what he can to meet the need. He was so convinced of Christ as a converted Jew, a Levite, that his greatest treasure was now Jesus. And his greatest ambition was the Great Commission. So that's now what his life was about. But then we have chapter 5, and I really do believe it's intentional in its sequence. And we're introduced to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Listen to the difference here. Again, end of chapter 4 is Barnabas. Next verse, chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. So they were able to do that as well. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead and great fear came on all who heard. 
The young man got up, wrapped his body, carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter, tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? She said, yes, for that price. And Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And instantly she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. Now, is the moral of the story, if you sell a field and keep any of it, that God's going to drop you dead? Can we have to be careful in our biblical interpretation hermeneutics matter, to study biblical interpretation, that we understand the difference between what's called prescriptive in the Bible and descriptive. Prescriptive is go and do likewise. Like, like this is a call, this is a command on us. Prescriptive. Descriptive is here are some things that happen that help us understand the story and understand God more. So that a direct command that you have to do this as well. So what's happening here? We go from chapter four, sell the field, son of encouragement, let's go to, I sold a field too. It's for the same amount as Barnabas. When it was really actually more than that. And they were lying to God's people. Here's what Piper says about this. I think it's helpful. That's why I want to share it with you. Because these are one of those stories you want to get right in chapter 5. Because it's pretty weighty. People drop dead because they didn't give all the money from the field. It's like, oh, okay. Um, Buddhism sounds nice right about now, right? It's that kind of idea. Ananias and Sapphira stand for the exact opposite of Barnabas. Namely, people who have not really been changed on the inside by being satisfied with all that God is for them in Christ but who still wants some place in the visible church. So we're post-Jesus dying, this is me here, just just some thoughts, post-Jesus dying, post-resurrection, and this happens to these people who are supposed to be redeemed, which doesn't sound like the story of our redemption in Christ. I think the conclusion we can draw is that this is a false conversion. They weren't actually truly believers, and this is evidence of that. He says, the reason, Piper, they drop dead is not because this happens to all hypocrites. Isn't that good news? Goodness. For example, it doesn't happen to Simon the Magician in Acts 8, 20 through 24. The reason they drop dead is to give a stunning warning to the whole church that phony Christians will all end up this way sooner or later. Eventually, you are going to die and be separated from God if you're not in Christ. This just happened sooner. He adds, the whole church now heard these things. This is the lesson Luke wants us to get, that faking faith in the presence of God is a fearful thing. I think about the story and you see people who love their money and at the same time wanted to appear really spiritual. And based on contrast, we could say that was never Barnabas' ambition. He never wanted to appear spiritual. He saw a need, and he met a need. These folks wanted to at least make everyone else think, perhaps, that they were kind of like Barnabas. Barnabas getting a lot of appreciation, people noticing him. They called him, they changed his name. 
And they're like, well, we got a field. It's kind of a hot time to sell a field right now in our little first century community. We're going to sell it and we actually made more money than Barnabas did on his, but we're going to give it maybe a dollar more than Barnabas. And we're going to look like we're the ones who are all in and we're really spiritual. But Barnabas is a man who really was changed by Jesus on the inside. He had an actual heart change. And now he's living in his Easter story not to please man, but to please God. Ananias and Sapphira were a man and a woman who wanted you to think they had something that wasn't actually really there. Which ultimately is a walk with the Lord, a relationship with God. An Easter story, a changed heart. We see this in Luke 16, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and scoffing at him, that being Jesus. And he told them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. For you graduating seniors, please know that your faith is only going to continue all the more to be, revolt, to be considered revolting by other people. I hope the way you treat people is not considered revolting. That it's not because of you, but because of what you believe. But just know that's only going to get worse. And the question you have to ask over and over again is, am I trying to please God or am I trying to please people? Is the world's draw bringing me in or is my continual belief that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the grave and he's ruling and reigning right now and one day will come and make all things new? Is that what's driving me? See, Barnabas did not need the praise of others because he had the approval of God. It's important to ask the question and answer the question, how do we have the approval of God? Is it by living better? Is it by doing more? It's important to know that someone who's not, this is not, the moral of the story is not, oh, let's all clean up and be more like Barnabas. Because an unbeliever can sell a field and give it away and encourage someone. I had a seminary professor who used to say, never preach a sermon that would still be true if Jesus hadn't died and risen again. Because then it wouldn't be a distinctly Christian sermon. So how do we have the approval of God? We have the approval of God because we have the righteousness of his son. That when, we, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just randomly die. He died in our place. He received our punishment for our sin in that moment. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5 that he who knew no sin became sin for us that so we might become the righteousness of God in him. So right now, as a believer, if you know Jesus, you stand before God not covered in your list of sins and failures and shame and guilt. You stand before him covered in the goodness of Jesus and he approves of his own son. He says in the scriptures, this is my son, I approve of him. So guess what? He now, because you are in Christ, approves of you. Why are you ashamed of you when God's not ashamed of you? Why? Because you're listening to the wrong message. You're believing the wrong story. Then Easter happened, which showed once and for all that Jesus was the one who was eligible, that all of God's approval upon his wrath being poured out was met in Jesus Christ. As a result, we're liberated and we're free. 
So this Levite converted because he now heard that message and believed that to be true and said, if this is true and God will save someone like me, sign me up. I'm not trying to impress anybody else. I know God's already approves of me, so let's get the gospel out to all those who need to hear it. Let's focus. Let's not get caught up in unnecessary squabbles and fights and distractions. Let's be about the good news through the local church, and that going forward to the ends of the earth, starting in Tallahassee. We see more about Barnabas. Now, those who had been scattered as a result of the persecutions, this is happening, this started because of Stephen, who was stoned, but the first martyr recorded in Scripture, made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who would have been Gentiles, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel. The Lord's hand was with them, and I love this, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Like, why can't we see that in Tallahassee? I hope you long for that in Tallahassee. People will hear, and then a large number of people will believe. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem. So who are they going to send out? So they sent out Barnabas. He's the encourager to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived, I want this verse to be true of my life, and I really want it to be true of yours. When he arrived, verse 23, and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He was glad. How many professing Christians, if you read their Facebook wall, would you ever think they were actually glad? Everything's critical. Everything's the sky is falling. Everything's an evaluation. Everything's a critique. Everything's a 10 out of 10. I hear Barnabas is, and he shows up and sees what God is doing. He was glad. He encouraged all of them as a result to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. A Levite seeing Gentiles hearing the gospel and is excited about that because he has no prejudice towards them anymore because why? He sees through different eyes now. Easter story eyes and he wants them to know and to believe. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and a large number of people were added to the Lord. I want this to be true of us. Now, we've seen a large number of people added to the Lord since this church started 15 years ago. August will be 15 years. It's about 20 people, and I think 90% were college students, and the Simmons family and some others, and some people who had my last name, so they had to be there. And here we are, still believing the same thing, and still believing that Tallahassee is ground zero for mission. And not just here in Tallahassee, the gospel must go to the ends of the earth. He went to Tarsus to search for Saul, who had been converted. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. And we're told the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So here's Barnabas contributing to the ministry in the city where people were first called Christians. And how did it start? One with his conversion, his belief in Easter... Then after that, he simply saw a need, had the means, sold the field, and said, let's go. I wonder if he knew what he was signing up for. 
because here he is on the road taking the good news. He does more. So Saul, who later became Paul, or known as Paul, I should say, was converted, a very radical conversion. He was a persecutor of Christians, involved in the murder of, of, of believers. I mean, really like on the list of like who's most likely probably not to become a Christian because he's so hostile to it, you'd be like, well, Saul. And he has this radical conversion, charged to take the gospel to the world, writes two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, radical here. He sees the resurrected Christ who appears to him and blinds him. And it's an amazing story I'd love for you to read in Acts on the Damascus Road. Well, the believers and the disciples had already you know, been weary of him. They were kind of told to be afraid of him, and rightly so. So if he came towards you and saw that you were a believer, guess what? He's going to order you stoned or imprisoned or beheaded or whatever it might have been. All of a sudden, he shows up a new person. He had an Easter story. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He's met the grace of God, repented of his sins, believed in Jesus, and now is being sent by God to go and tell. So what happens when he gets on the scene? The believers, like any of us probably would have been like, whoa, whoa. Scared, hide your kids. And we're told the words in the scripture, but Barnabas. Barnabas stands up and says, the whole reading of the book of Acts be wonderful, just in general. I just want to encourage that to everybody here. I want everyone to be reading their Bibles. He says, I get it. I'm paraphrasing here. I get it. And I don't know all the answers. And I don't even know if I fully trust this guy, but I know he's been with Jesus. So I'm going to build a bridge for him. I'm going to build a bridge. I mean, if that wouldn't happen, again, God is sovereign and he had a plan for Saul the entire time that could, be, that could not be hindered. But God uses people. And here's Barnabas building a bridge, and that bridge went on to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We'll be in 1 Corinthians back next week. Guess who wrote that? Well, God, but Paul. Romans. Some of those verses you might have memorized. You're a Bible memorizer. Paul. Barnabas said, I'm going to build a bridge. What? Are you crazy? You might think I'm crazy, but he's been with Jesus. You weren't too great either before Jesus. Did you know that the wages of sin is death? Guess what? You run under that penalty too. He's been changed. And then there's another scene where Paul, I guess he kind of forgot the grace he had been shown. There's a biblical character named Mark. Mark had bailed on an earlier mission, got homesick, wanted to go home and see his mom. Now he's back on the scene and there's a serious mission coming. A lot of risk, persecution, travel, weather, all these things. And Paul's like, I'm not taking that guy. Fool me once, shame on you. You know, fool me twice, shame on me. And Barnabas is like, no, 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 let's give him another chance. Paul's like, I'm going, uh, uh, uh. He goes, fine. We're brothers. You go do your thing. He's with me. So they parted. It's a big mission field out there. And Barnabas took Mark with him. And humanly speaking, 
we don't have the gospel of Mark today in our Bibles if Barnabas doesn't make that move. Because he's someone who's going to bring blessings to others. Barnabas is somebody who's going to build bridges for others. He's also committed to breaking down barriers for others. But what's Barnabas doing? Is he just more moral than everybody else? Does he, is he more spiritual than everybody else? I don't think so. I think he's just doing what Jesus did for him. Saw a need, met the need. What's the need? The greatest human need that exists, separation from God. The need to be reconciled to our creator is the greatest human need in existence, and there isn't a close second when you consider the weight of that. So God makes this demand upon our lives. It makes perfect sense. He is holy, so he commands people to be holy. He won't share his worship or his glory with anyone else. But we failed that miserably. We said, God, I don't want you. I want your stuff instead. Romans 1 talks about that. We made an exchange. No, God, I don't want to worship you. I want to worship me. I want to worship stuff. I want to worship this world. Well, God can't let sin go unpunished. And the result of our sin is that we're separated from God. But our God is also rich in mercy. He's abounding in love. And what did he do? He made the demand upon us. And we failed to meet that demand. So what did he do? He met it for us. That Jesus came. His plan from the beginning. Lived a perfect life. Met every demand. Died a death that we deserve because of our rebellion. And that great need, the greatest need of all of having our relationship with God repaired and reconciled has been accomplished by Christ. Who rose for our justification. The scriptures say, which declares us once and for all not guilty of the sins that we have committed. Because he was guilty in our place. Do you see why we call the gospel the good news? Do you see why Barnabas walked on the scene and saw people coming to faith in Jesus and he was glad? Today would be, well, you know, did they get it right? I mean, did they explain it right? Did they, did, did? He goes, wow, look at this. These people believe. And, they're gl- and he's glad. He wasn't in the yeah, but, what about movement. He was glad. Maybe it's a little different when there's no Christians around you. Maybe your mindset's a little bit different. But he didn't have time to get caught up in the stuff because the stuff for him was getting the gospel out. He, for Paul, built a bridge. He built a bridge. Why? Jesus built a bridge for him. Between God and himself. That lullaby is going to put me to sleep pretty soon. I'll hear it. And then Jesus gave, sorry, sorry, Barnabas gave Mark a second chance. Why? Because Jesus has given him a million second chances. This is not radical. This is believing in Jesus and what he's done for us, and as a result, now doing it for others. So even though the point of this message is not be a Barnabas because the point is more let's look at someone's life who's been radically changed by Jesus and see the results. Let's see the power of God to redeem this Levite then use him to change the world. I would hope when we read stories like this that we have a desire to want to be a Barnabas. I want to be a Barnabas. 
I want to see college students graduate from our college ministry and go off into the world and be Barnabases. I hope our seniors that just graduated from high school will go and be Barnabases. I hope that that's the, the city church members who go on a mission trip tomorrow morning when they leave their driveway and go to work will be Barnabases. That's how we'll be viewed. That's how we'll be viewed. But sadly today, Christians are viewed as either kind of partisan hacks, culture warriors, power-hungry, judgmental, legalistic, hypocritical. What if instead we prayed that God would make us be viewed like Barnabas? Starting with me. I always speak to myself first. What would that look like for us? What an Easter story that would be for all of us. That we so believe these truths. That now we want to go and be this for other people. And love people and love this community and love our neighbors and focus on what matters. Because God loved us first. Let's be Barnabases. Let that be our Easter story. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for someone like Barnabas. We know he was not perfect. We know that he needed Jesus and he found Jesus, or I should say you found him. And I thank you that we can learn from his example. And I ask if we can learn from anything about him, it'll be that he was glad and that he saw needs and met needs. Or let us really believe this stuff. Let us not be a hobby for us or just an intellectual endeavor or a knowledge collection or a superstition, but a conviction that we believe that our God in his love has met our greatest need and that Jesus who died for us is now alive and one day will come again. So Lord, I ask that we found faithful. I ask for great days ahead for this church and our ministries in terms of getting the gospel out, seeing disciples made. They youth our missionaries that are proclaiming this message right now all across the world. We lift them up to you. And for all our missionaries, our church members, who had to work in school and home and neighborhood and everywhere they're going to be tomorrow. Lord, use us for your glory. Let us be like Barnabas, but more importantly, let us be like Jesus. That's in his name we ask this. Amen. And as always, we have a care room out in the lobby. If you want to talk to someone, have someone pray with you, sermon, follow-up, questions, whatever it might be, trust in Jesus. Out in the lobby is a big sign that says care after the service. Love for you to go in there and meet with someone. Let's stand together and sing some good news.